Welcome to StemWire Live. I'm Liza Cordero, your host from CNA Education. Today, we're talking about how community schools and community colleges serve the financial, emotional, and educational needs of students. Community schools offer integrated focus on academics, health, and social services, youth and community development, and community engagement with the goal of supporting improved student learning, stronger families, and healthier communities. In many ways, community colleges were designed to serve as educational and support hubs for adult learners as well. We have broken this podcast into two parts. Part one of applying lessons learned from community colleges and community schools will focus on gaining an understanding of community schools and the current research on the topic. While part two will focus on innovative ways that community colleges are supporting the academic and life success of students and the parallels between the community school models and wraparound models at community colleges. Thank you for joining us for STEM Wire Live. Now, the first thing I want to do is learn a little bit about each of our guests. So, Kathy, let me start with you. Thank you. I'm a senior research scientist with CNA Education. I've spent many years studying career and college readiness and the high school to college transition. And my research has always straddled secondary and post-secondary education. So for me, it's interesting to learn about effective practices on either side and see how they might be adapted for the other side. Excellent. And Jose? Uh, Yes, my name is Jose Munoz. I'm the director for the College of Community Schools, which is an initiative inside of it the Institute for Educational Leadership. And uh, for many years, I'm new in my role, for many years I've been a community organizer uh, in different parts of the country and lately in community schools in Albuquerque, New Mexico, but also working with some uh, community colleges. Um, What's close to me is just how we mobilize our existing institutions to help families out. Excellent. And now uh, from Portland, Oregon, Mark, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, thank you. So my name is Mark Mitsui. I'm the president of Portland Community College, which serves about 90,000 students annually and uh, across about 1,500 square miles of service area. Um, I was the form, um, formerly of the U.S. Department of Education, where I was the deputy assistant secretary of community colleges. And prior to that, I was the president of North Seattle Community College. And throughout that time, I've been engaged in how do we engage the community? How do we create holistic services and supports for students, particularly low-income students, so they can access opportunity through the community colleges? Excellent. And Sarah, last but not least, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you. This is Sarah Crawford. I'm so pleased to be here today. Um, I am the National Education Director for Single Stop. And Single Stop is a nonprofit organization based out of New York that works to build pathways out of poverty by leveraging partnerships and technology to connect people to existing resources through a unique one-stop shop, if you will. And in my role, I oversee all of our work um, in in the education sector, which right now is focused primarily on post-secondary work. And um, through that work, we really try to live at the intersection of Uh, where the students are, the colleges, and those social services, helping people navigate to the services that they need so that they can hopefully get a a better financial footing and work their way towards persisting through and graduating from college. 
Excellent. Thank you so much, Sarah. So my first question, I think it makes sense to ask you, Jose, what is a community school and what was the impetus for this model? Sure, sure. A community school is, is a public school. It is the hub of its neighborhood, it, it, uniting families and community partners and educators to provide all students with the top quality academics, enrichment, social health and social services and opportunities uh, that they need to succeed in school and life. It's um, being a father of five. It's a school where us parents really desire and children really need us, but especially those who are most vulnerable uh, children. Uh, of community schools just came from uh, the many years and decades and ongoing struggles that our children of color and children who live in poverty have growing up, whether it be the lack of, of food or shelter, uh, any types of um, even barriers to participation and access to supports and opportunities that they need to, to learn and grow. So does research exist on the positive impact of community school models? Definitely. Uh, community schools, so it's a proven approach that's updated to a new era. There's like 50 years of evidence that shows uh, the higher student achievement, more community support and engagement, and what vibrant neighborhoods and community um, participation have with students' uh, um, academic and social outcomes. More recently, the National Education and Policy Center just released a brief done by the Learning Policy Institute titled the Community Schools as an Equitable School Improvement Strategy. It's a review of the evidence from their first report. It came out and said community schools an evidence-based uh, equitable school improvement strategy. In this last one, they did a uh, report that examined over 140 research studies uh, on the four community school pillars, which they tagged in the first uh, study. But uh, also, they had some evaluation studies of community schools as a comprehensive strategy. So what they concluded, uh, that when well implemented, implementation does count, community schools do lead to improvement in student and school outcomes and contribute to meeting the educational needs of low achieving students in, in high poverty schools. And there's many other different studies out there. With the, so they did an ex examination of all those 100 plus studies as a deeper dive. And what they also showed in their first study, uh, community schools, evidence, an evidence-based equitable school improvement strategy was um, how community schools really aligns with the Every Student Succeeds Act, uh, four strands of evidence base. So, so they made some policy recommendations as well in those studies. So I know that you came from Albuquerque where you were working with mm -hmm. uh, community schools and real life examples. Um, you were living it every single day and working with, with those community schools. Anything that really sticks out to you? Yeah, so student mobility is, one indicator of success uh, that often people don't look at, but it's also an indicator of when families are struggling or when schools' cultures need to be changed. One in particular school, Emerson Elementary School, it's in an area where the community members call it the war zone and everyone else calls it the international district. <laughs> it calls it the international district, but that school had a 91% student mobility rate. That meant 91% of the students who were enrolled there uh, didn't stay. So can you imagine teaching in that situation? By a community school coordinator working with its administration and working with its community partners and engaging families in the discussion, including them on decision-making in regards to what are some solutions and then helping them and empower them be part of implementing those solutions, which families were shocked. Within three years, 
the school reduced the student mobility rate from 91% to 34%. And consequently, although they didn't focus on uh, learning in the classroom, looking to stabilize the classroom so teachers can do their job, <laughs> consequently, they went from a state grade uh, from an F to a C during that same time frame. There's many other stories like that. There's another, people talk about homework diner now in the community school world, which was um, proctored by Chelsea Clinton on NBC Nightly News twice. And that is now in like at least 15 other states. I know that by social media. We, what, it, that was simply created by a community and its families uh, to have Spanish-speaking family members uh, engage the educators. So it brought the dining room experience into the school as they learn how to work together. Quite an impact. Quite an impact. I always like to hear those kinds of stories. So, Kathy, we know that the, the title of this podcast is Applying Lessons from Community Schools to Community College. So now I turn to you and I say, what do we know about the needs of community college students? So there's a lot of concern right now about the low graduation rates of community college students. And policymakers and researchers have been asking, what do these students need to persist and to earn a credential? And of course, community colleges already provide a huge range of services to their students, a lot of different support services, but are they the right ones? And are students taking advantage of them? Really recent research showing that many community college students are even more disadvantaged uh, than we previously believed. The study, it's by the Wisconsin Hope Lab. I love that name, the Hope Lab. A study of 70 community colleges across the country, it found that about one in three of the students has experienced hunger, half were housing insecure, and about 13% were homeless. So it, it really helps the whole field to understand that it's not things um, just like tutoring that community college students may need, and, and many of them may very well need tutoring, but many of them, it, it sounds like it's, it's quite likely that many of them need support for really some basic, basic human needs. It's been in the news um, in the last week or so that New York Governor Cuomo just proposed that every public college in New York State open a free food pantry for students. So um, people are paying attention to that research and, and coming up with some, some new ideas that are, are closely related to these community schools ideas. How can some of these positive community school characteristics be applied? Community colleges, I mean, you just yeah. you just talked about the example in New York, starting a food pantry. Mm -hmm. What are some other bits of research or other examples that mm -hmm. you may know of? And I know that we're looking even further as part of our CNA research as well. So the, the community schools framework, it's really holistic, and it's understanding the types of um, economic and social supports that students need. So that certainly applies to community college students as well. And the model is, is about integrating these services. So integrating academics, health services, social services, and also civic engagement, community engagement. And, and all of those things really show great promise in meeting the various needs of community college students so that they can develop to their fullest potential. Um, you know, like community schools, community colleges are designed to be the hub of the community. And so they really need to think more broadly about that purpose of increasing the well-being of the entire community. 
think a lot of this success can be based on successful partnerships. So I'm going to put this question out there to all of our participants. Can you share some examples of partnerships between community schools and community colleges that are working and perhaps maybe even looking at where are the gaps, where do other partnerships need to evolve? Uh, Mark, I'm going to turn to you because you are currently the president of a community college. How would you react to that question? Well, thank you. I think that's a really important question and I'll sort of skip to the partnership question terms of where the partnership gaps are. In the Portland region, the cost of housing has risen dramatically, and that's impacting our students. It's uh, forcing gentrification in different parts of the city. And if you look at a heat map of displacement in our region, it's the lower income and lower educational attainment communities that are at the greatest risk of displacement. So we are exploring partnerships with housing authorities in our region to see how we might be able to partner to help students be able to stay in the region to access opportunity through PCC partnerships. And uh, one example of that actually close by is in Washington State. There's a partnership between the Tacoma Housing Authority and the Tacoma Community College. Their Section 8 priority is reserved for students that are attending the college as long as they're making satisfactory academic progress in uh, the group that participated in the project, they found about a 60% retention and completion rate. And those Section 8 recipients that did not participate in the program were retained or completed at about a 16% rate. So housing makes a huge difference. We are working on um, a statewide effort. We received funding from the community college system to be the lead college in forming a community of practice around the integration of federal benefits. And so what we're uh, doing is working with state agencies to integrate Pell, TANF, SNAP, unemployment, Section 8, and forms of assistance to wrap around the unmet need that, uh, that we heard earlier. Uh, the Tuition is just part of the equation, uh, and we know that there's a huge unmet need amongst our students. So. We also have a SNAP 50-50 project um, that now involves nine community colleges. We receive funding to expand that to all 17, um, and uh, that's helping a lot of students as well. And then finally, um, we uh, are the largest high school in the state of Oregon, and so high schools are also um, important anchor institutions. We serve about 7,000 high school students a year through our dual credit program, and we're working. We're going to be working with our high school partners to maximize the efficiency, effectiveness, and equity of our dual credit programs. Uh, so uh, those are just some of the partnerships. We have food pantries in all of our campuses. Uh, we have partnerships with Whole Foods and um, uh, other vendors and retailers that support uh, our effort to help students. But uh, we're, we're not going to be able to food pantry our way out of uh, the needs, as important as the food pantries are. Uh, we also want to work on a policy level. So with the state legislature, we have been able to partner on some legislation um, that will bring uh, a task force uh, together, uh, including state agencies, community colleges, and other partners, so that we can uh, tackle this on a policy level. 
Excellent. Thank you so much. Good points that you're bringing up. And Sarah, part of the mission for Single Stop is building pathways out of poverty by leveraging partnerships. So I'll be really interested to hear your take on this question and, and how you would even respond to some of what Mark just said. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I agree with Mark. It's, it's a really important question that, um, you know, a lot of college campuses are considering um, across the country. And, um, you know, where, where single stop kind of falls into this picture is um, as, as folks kind of begin to think about um, these holistic approaches to, um, to student success. So, you know, identifying those critical student needs and providing that comprehensive and readily accessible intervention um, at the right time um, in the right way to those students that address those barriers. Um, single Stop is really one of those tools um, that that can support a campus and and bridging that holistic approach piece. So um, our, our model is really um, based on let's triage those, that student's immediate need through partnerships, right? So um, a student who applies for, for food stamps is not going to get those food stamps approved right away. There's a process, but they're probably hungry today. So we work with our partners to, um, our college partners to identify what are those gaps um, in, in their service areas and how can we fill those gaps with partnerships in the community and how can we support that college in, um, in creating those relationships. Um, so we do that and then we also use a technology tool that helps people navigate to those federal level benefits and we deploy that through our community college partners. And um, we've seen just a great number of successful partnerships um, across the country with um, the colleges that we work with, um, schools who are um, who have either created food pantries or started um, started partnerships with their local food pantry. So there's a great example in Charlotte where um, the college wanted to start a food pantry, but they really didn't have the resources to do it. And so they um, brought in the local food bank and they said, can you start a satellite can a, a pantry on our campus? And that's exactly what happened. Um, and, and it's just been a great partnership where students can get a two-day supply of food and then a referral to the main food pantry where they can get a two-week supply of food and, and they have so many times that they can they can come back and, and utilize that. So um, really great uh, partnerships, as I said, other colleges who are partnering with mental health services to make sure that that's a need that's being met. Um, students drop out for a myriad of reasons. Uh, the most common thing that students will say is, well, life happened. And typically what that means is life had a price tag associated with it that I can afford. And, and so Single Stop has really been working with our college partners and new college partners to identify what those needs are and help them connect. Thank you, Sarah. So Jose, from the perspective of a community school, knowing that you have lots of background in, in that area, what do you say to the partnerships, the partnership gap, and what you see as next, next steps? From a community school, I found interesting when Marcus Sarah was saying um, how community colleges operate and community schools and community colleges being anchor institutions uh, with the infrastructure necessary in a school, a person, responsibility is to integrate all of the different partnerships that we're talking about. Uh, I could see, if I could start with the future, the future of better alignment between uh, K through 12 education, uh, because you can't decouple 
supporting the child from supporting the parent. And many parents uh, are in community colleges as an anchor of the, as an anchor institution. So I can see how uh, community colleges, community schools can begin to uh, even more effectively and efficiently align the resources and services. Be sometimes we can offer sometimes we can offer some of the support services on certain days of the week, but together maybe we can help families who are struggling a little bit more multiple uh, days of the week. Now, gap in the partnership is: Do we have the right infrastructure in place? community schools and community colleges where there is um, some cohesion in the communications between the two institutions. And then uh, also, do we have the um, a strategy in place where we can achieve better alignment of those resources? Uh, and, and then identifying our most vulnerable families, especially through the school, the public school, the K-12 through schools, identifying those families simply by if their children aren't there. Are they missing in school? Are they dropping out of school? Are, have they enrolled in school through our early childhood institutions, our K-12 institutions? And through engaging and beginning to care for the adults in those families, uh, how do we better align with our community colleges uh, to support that family? As Mark, Mark, what you were saying about not, not just food alone and clothing alone is not going to help the family, but by including them in the decision-making process, how do we create a pathway for them to begin to build their capacity, not only get their family out of a certain situ a poverty situation, but come back and feel obligated to come help, some, help the next family? Get forward. Paying it forward, yes. Excellent. So, Kathy, from the research perspective as a, a CNA researcher, what would you say to that question about partnerships and... Um, the growth of partnerships. Mm -hmm. Let me just go back to another topic first, if I if I may, because I I love the the focus on on policy and tackling this on a, a policy level and and making um, you know trying to make larger changes and also Jose talking about this multi generational approach, which I think is as well. Um, and I just want to mention that um, one thing I've seen that I've so loved at a few community colleges is when it's election time, community colleges will often create polling sites on their campuses so that their students and families whoever can, can actually come vote on campus. And there are also usually events as well around the election or they, you know, just, cast the, the the primary events and the debates and things like that so so I, I, I would hope and think too that that um, is helping with the civic engagement that we've been talking about and, and helping the students understand too that they can have some political power in all of this now to the research question um, so CNA education is a research firm and we, we would hopefully be able to, you know, disseminate some of this some more. I mean, Jose, it sounds like there's a lot of good research on the community schools model, and, and I don't know if that's really been um, disseminated to the community college field. If there's mm -hmm. much awareness of that, it would be great to help do that or do some additional research um, as this spreads to community colleges particularly. 
um, and, and research, on, research on the gaps as well. Although I think we're learning more about that. It's now finding that infrastructure, right, and the partnerships to, to fill those gaps. I think you answered the question of what role does CNA play with sharing some of the research that currently exists and perhaps doing additional research. And Jose, the last question of part one of our podcast, what can organizations like IEL do? IEL has a, a very large footprint because it bases all of its um, on programming and strategies around partnership. So through 9,000 education policy fellowship, policy fellows across the country and 5,000 community school initial leaders and the multiple partners that play in there. A big thing IEL uh, over the 54 years of their existence uh, and really mobilizing the leaders, learning across uh, different cross-sector leaders, mobilizing them and preparing them to help break down some of the systemic barriers that people face and their families face. Um, IEL has is addition to begin to mobilize all those partners and the leaders within them. And when I say leaders, I'm not just speaking of leaders and superintendents and people we would traditionally say in leadership roles, but uh, young people have a leadership voice and IEL has a, a rich, rich history of preparing young leaders across communities, uh, family members. They have a large family and community engagement uh, footprint. And we, we uh, of course, within the community school world it, itself has a large footprint, but there's multiple leaders out there in multiple different levels and multiple sectors that IEL can can contribute in, in really mobilizing them and preparing them to break, to break down those systemic barriers. Thank you so much, Jose, and to all of our other guests, Kathy, Sarah, Mark. We still have lots more to talk about with these guests. In part two of Applying Lessons Learned from Community Colleges and Community Schools, we will learn about some innovative examples of serving students through the community school model and wraparound models at community colleges. If you want to learn more about this topic or review some of the research mentioned during this podcast, visit us at www.cna.org forward slash education.